Let us pray together. Dear God, this morning we're so grateful for your scriptures and the way that as we gather around them in community, as your Holy Spirit enlivens and energizes our listening, we hear your word piercing, challenging, comforting, transforming. And so this morning we ask for your help in our listening. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So it was 20 years ago, almost exactly to the day, on October 5th, 1995, that this preacher preached his very first sermon. And it was on the story of Zacchaeus. And so that will always be a very precious story to me. Back then in Beijing, when we were living there, I was experiencing a significant spiritual awakening. And I identified so very much with this wee little man. As someone reminded me, we used to sing about. This broken and lonely man who climbs up a tree to see who Jesus is. And in Beijing, I preached about the amazing grace that Jesus extends to Zacchaeus and that I was just beginning to experience in my own life at that time. Since then, I've preached 450 give or take sermons. (laughs) I keep a log, I confess. And by God's grace, preaching remains one of the most exciting things in my ministry. But every once in a while, preaching is really, really hard. And dear friends, this past week with our focus on racial injustice, it got really, really hard. You see, all week I've struggled with how to approach such a huge an overwhelming subject, a subject where I'm aware of my own blindness and brokenness in a very acute way. But finally, on Thursday, I felt the Holy Spirit saying to me, just share the story of your own struggle. Don't try to preach everything, just preach something. So that's what I'll try to do here this morning. Living in Chicago for 13 years, out in the comfortable and wealthy and lily-white suburbs, it was so easy to preach about racial injustice. And I never really had to grapple with it at all, personally. That all changed the moment we arrived here in Lancaster two years ago. And we quickly learned that nothing brings out one's core values more, do you know what it is? 
buying a home. You want to find out your core values? Go and buy a home. I was stunned by the racism that I discovered deep in my soul as we started asking questions like, where do we want to live? Who do we want our neighbors to be? Which school district do we want to be in? And our month-long search for a home ended up being a time of deep and intense spiritual struggle. And I'm so grateful to Cal for the way that he ministered to us so very patiently in that process. And then, after sensing God's leading to buy a home near our church, just up the hill over there, I felt or started to feel a deep and pervasive sense of fear. Had God really called us to do this? I began to ask Jeanette often, because as I've shared before, I was experiencing things like I'd never experienced before. Our windows rattling from the booming bass of passing cars. Everybody in the city knows about that. You don't experience that in the Chicago suburbs hearing the shouts of inmates from the prison, and walking home at night from church feeling unsafe, or at least unsure if I was safe. And then I entered into a whole new chapter of spiritual struggle, and I often walked to and from our church every day, singing one of the hymns in our, in our hymn book, and I, I think it's Sing the Journey, Calm me, Lord. Calm me, Lord. As a privileged white person, I was experiencing something brand new. The need to rely on God like never before for the inner resources that I did not have. And I knew that I didn't have them. In these past two years, God's perfect love has been slowly casting out your pastor's fear. And believe me, there's a whole lot more still to cast out. This is an unfinished story. I'm an open book. But at our community meals, God has been training me, training me to see God's precious image in every single person. And as folks of color have become my friends, the whole way that I see reality, see our nation, see our city is being transformed. As I hear their stories about poverty, about police intimidation, about incarceration and racism. But here's the surprising thing. Along the way, I've been surprised by a deep sense of joy. Who would have figured? That always happens when we rely on God. The joy from discovering that God is with us in a very special way when we take kingdom risks. Set off an alarm over there. When we move out of our comfort zones, God is with us 
in a powerful way. The joy that we all experienced yesterday at our community festival, dancing out there in the parking lot and catching a fresh vision of God's coming kingdom and what it's going to look like. The sweet joy, for this sweet joy, I give all the thanks and all the credit to God. And this morning, it's that very same vision that Paul has on his mind in Ephesians 2. He's telling us that our reconciliation with God is intimately connected, intimately connected, they can never be severed, with our reconciliation with those around us. Racial and ethnic reconciliation are an integral part of the good news of Jesus. Amen? And Paul uses these dramatic and riveting images from the Jerusalem temple to drive home his point. The 34-acre Temple Mount, you'll remember, was divided into a series of walled-off courtyards that became ever more sacred and ever more exclusive and restricted as you drew near to the Holy of Holies. But God's house of prayer for all the nations, for all people, had over time morphed into a vast purity system that excluded anyone who was deemed unclean or unworthy or too poor to participate. And that's a whole lot of people. Pilgrims who were non-Jewish. Pilgrims who were disabled. Pilgrims who were menstruating. Who were of illegitimate birth. Who were working in unclean professions like shepherding were banned on pain of death from worshiping in any other courtyards except the ones on the outside perimeter of the temple. And by doing that, they were deprived of this deeper access to God. Paul is telling us that today, today that Christ has broken down all these dividing walls of hostility in the temple and in the world. Through Christ, all of these dividing walls have come tumbling down. And maybe you hear a John Cougar Mellencamp's song in the background there. Through Jesus. Through Jesus, God's salvation has been offered to all people. And with great, great symbolism... After Jesus' saving work on the cross, the veil in the temple is torn in two from top to bottom by an earthquake. Through Jesus, all people now have direct access to God and we have new access to each other.
for years in our nation, folks of color have been telling us that something is terribly wrong with American justice and policing. They've told us about random stops and harassment. My African-American nephew Jacob calls it being guilty for driving while black. That's enough to get you pulled over. Driving while black. They tell us They've told us stories about brutality and violence of a system that is jailing people of color at rates dramatically higher than anyone else. But for all these years, it's fallen on my deaf ears. How about yours? I mean, after all, don't we live in a colorblind society now? Don't we see African-American students in Harvard and Yale? Don't we have an African-American president? We're past all that, right? But then we all got cell phones. And people of color started filming the world that they live in. And that we refused to believe could possibly exist. And in the last year, we've seen shocking after irrefutable image of their suffering. Eric Garner being choked to death in New York City. Michael Brown shot down in Ferguson and his body left on the street for four hours. 12-year-old Tamir Rice gunned down in Cleveland, Ohio. 12 years old. Walter Scott shot in the back in South Carolina while he was running away from a policeman. And this summer in McKinney, Texas, we saw a white police officer yank a black teenager in a swimming suit down to the ground and kneel on her, black, on her back. Anybody see those images? So at first I thought, what what does this Zacchaeus story have to do with any of this? But it does help us to see what God's salvation looks like when a person of power and privilege meets Jesus. As kids, we all thought, you know, this Zacchaeus story was, was just a, a story of a Danny DeVito-like character up in a tree, right? And we loved it. But later as adults, we discover a, a story pulsing with political electricity. The Jewish people have been brutally conquered by the Roman Empire. The people of Jericho are now weighed down by a crushing load of heavy taxes collected by who? By Roman collaborators like Zacchaeus who line their pockets along the way. That's who Zacchaeus is. 
And in our story, Jesus invites Zacchaeus to defect from the Roman Empire and to enter into the empire of God. God's realm of justice and community and shalom. And notice how Zacchaeus responds. It's it's wonderful and amazing. He says, I'll give up half my things to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone of anything, I'll quadruple their loss. And then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. This is what salvation looks like. And notice how God's salvation is not just good news for Zacchaeus. It's great news for all of his impoverished neighbors. That's how God's salvation works. It's good news for us and great news for the people in need around us. With our church so close to a prison, I've been reading a book called The New Jim Crow. Anybody read it? The New Jim Crow? A few hands. Michelle Alexander builds a deeply compelling and disturbing case that the brutal racism that drove slavery and that then later drove Jim Crow has now creatively mutated and morphed into a new new system of mass incarceration for people of color. And what has allowed all of this to happen? The war on drugs. The war, she writes, took overwhelming aim at people of color and threw them en masse into prison, even though statistics show that white folks use and sell drugs at the very same rate, sometimes higher. When released, millions of people of color are then permanently branded as criminals and felons. Okay? And then, everyone is absolutely free to discriminate against them forever. Forever. For employment, for housing, for access to education and public benefits. In many states, they can't even vote anymore. You get out of prison, you can't vote. Alexander says that our supposedly colorblind society has found yet another creative way. It's amazing how this happens again and again. Another creative way of relegating people of color to a permanent second-class status.
So when it comes to dismantling these persistent dividing walls of race and racism, it's so easy to feel so overwhelmed that we do absolutely nothing, right? What are some ways that we can begin to move beyond this paralysis? The first thing I would mention is consider making our community meals not something you do once a year, but much more regularly. For those of us who are white, this weekly gathering presents us with the precious and rare opportunity to build real relationships with people of color. I talk to so many white folks who don't have a single significant friendship with a person of color. And remember this when you come. Many of the folks who come to our meal don't just come for food, but for their need for community, which is a need that we intimately share with them. Right? Two, do your own learning. Do your own learning about these systemic dividing walls. Maybe you could pick up Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, or ta Coates' new book, Between the World and Me. Between the World and Me. The third one may seem counterintuitive, but it may be the most important, begin a daily practice of connecting with God. You know, I just hammer away at this, don't I? It should be a requirement of every person who belongs to this church that all of us have a practice. I don't care what it is. We need some daily practice where we're connecting with God where God has a chance and a prayer to soften our hearts, because they need softening. Where God has a chance to dismantle these racist dividing walls, which are out in society, but begin deep in our own soul. And last of all, folks, remember the joy. Remember the joy. I'm thinking of, again, our parking lot yesterday with people of every color building community and swaying and dancing together to the wonderful music of Las Monstros. They were so good, we already hired them to come back next year. Remember as Hebrews 13.2 says, the joy, the joy that was set before Jesus and the joy that is now set before us. Please don't come to our community meals and our community festivals out of Christian duty. We're going to set up these metal detectors. Christian duty metal detectors. And it's going to go off if you come for that reason. You think I'm joking? (laughs) Sheldon, put it in the budget. Come 
Come because you know if you don't, you're going to miss out on some new, fresh glimpse of the kingdom. Come because of your own spiritual poverty. You may be materially wealthy, but we all have this spiritual poverty. Come out of your need to experience the fuller diversity of humanity that God has created. Come because you want to experience the joy of America's terrible dividing walls being dismantled first and foremost in your own soul. Amen.